All right, Rabbi, say good morning. Let us begin. Let's thank our sponsors, our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Teves, Yol and Sarah Kelman, in honor of the birth of their daughter, Oriya Tahel, and in the hope that all those davening for the brach of children will have their tefillos answered Bekarov. To thank Stephen Tarizin for dedicating all the Sherman Drushos this month in honor of their grandchildren, Adin Svian Aftali Moshe, Shirley Elbaum and family for dedicating the Shiurim and Drushos this month, the commemoration of the yard site of Shirley's husband, Jerry Elbaum, Yaakov Kapol Ben Raram Menachem. And our week of learning sponsors, Paul and Kathy Pollock, in memory of Paul's sister, Leah Bas Shmuel. And our Dafyomi sponsors, Alan and Sue Meyerowitz, the commemoration of the yard site of Sue's mother, Mindel Bas Reb Shlomo Todris, we hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Nishamas will have an Aliyah and the families a Nechama. And also with that, let us begin. Today's daf is daf Dalid. And we are picking up on Gimel Ahmed Bey's uh, 3B. Let's just pick up 14 lines down from the top. It's too many lines to count up from the bottom. 14 lines down from the top. So let's remember, we, we ended off yesterday, but well, we're gonna, today we're going to catch up in Mir Hashem. So we ended off yesterday with an interesting discussion kind of about creating halachic hierarchies. You know, if you have a conflict between two mitzvos, so which one should one perform? So we're picking up now, we're picking up now, the truth is we just pick up two lines earlier. Amarava Pshitali, Avodu Mikra Megillah, Mikra Megillah Adif. Rava says if you have a conflict, right, if you have a choice between Mikra Megillah and, and Avoda, sacrificial service, Mikra Megillah wins. From where do I know that, says the Gemara? Midrab Yossi Bar Chanina. From Yossi Bar Chanina, both say, so that's yesterday's daf where we saw the Kavachomer, that if Mikra Megillah is strong enough to trump Avoda, where do we learn that from? Mishpacha u Mishpacha. Then, of course, again, it's strong enough to trump Talmud Torah as well. Good. Talmud Torah, Mikra Megillah. So we'll say, if there is a choice between Talmud Torah and Mikra Megillah, which one, should, which, which one wins? So the Gemara says, Mikra Megillah, Adif, Midisam Chushal Beis Rebbe. Good. Talmud Torah, Mis Mitzvah. So we'll say, that's all yesterday's daf. Interesting case now. What about Talmud Torah, Mikra Megillah? And I will say, now remember again, as we saw in Tosis yesterday, Tosis is talking about that the goal, of course, is to be able to do all of these things. The Imam is just trying to deal in a more extreme situation where there is a direct conflict and only ability to perform one at a given time, which one takes precedence. So Talmud Torah, Meis Mitzvah, so what happens if there's a, if there's a conflict between Torah learning, Talmud Torah, and Meis Mitzvah, but say Meis Mitzvah refers to someone who has died and there's no one else to bury that individual. That is called a mes mitzvah. So what's talacha Talmud Torah mes mitzvah? Mes mitzvah adiv. In that case, the mes mitzvah takes precedence. So we'll say this is very interesting. So mes mitzvah, someone who passed away, there's no one else to bury them. Mes mitzvah will take precedence over Talmud Torah. Midisanya, as we learned, mevatlin Talmud Torah lehotzas mes ulachnas askalo. So the Gemara says we go ahead and we negate. The study of Torah. So in other words, Mavatim Talmud Torah means we'll cancel the shir, close the base medrash, lotzas meis, in order to bury the dead, ulach nosas kalo, and in order to go ahead and marry off a kalo. Now both say, hachnosas kalo could mean a couple of things. Hachnosas kalo could mean gathering the money in order to allow someone to get married. Hachnosas kalo could also mean assembling the minion in order for someone to get married. <coughs> All right, so the Gemara says, so the Gemara says, um, yeah, I, I'll just point out, by the way, Tulsus just points out by Mes Mitzvah, that a Slav Davka Mes Mitzvah, that's Mevatel Talmud Torah, he says, anytime there's the need to bury the dead, right? And, and you're needed for that. You're needed for that process. Ultimately, again, that process will trump Talmud Torah. That's okay, but fine, a detail. Next, Avodu Mes Mitzvah, what happens if there's a conflict between Avodah and Mesi Mitzvah? Mesi Mitzvah Adif. Ultimately, again, Mesi Mitzvah takes precedence. Where do we learn this from? Mevala Achoso. So we'll say, this is fascinating. So what's the drasha of Vala Achoso? So let's first take a look in the Gemara. Desanya. Ula Achoso, Matamud Lomar. So we'll say, what's the context over here? So the Pasuk says, La'aviv ulimo, Ula Achoso, lo yitamala hembemosam, Kinezer Elokov Arosho. So we'll say this Pasik is talking about a Nazir. About a Nazir. 
So the Torah says that if a person has a Nazir, for his father, his mother, his brother, his sister, he shall not become Tomei. So we'll say in this respect, interestingly enough, the Nazir is treated like the Kohen Gadol. The same way that a Kohen Gadol does not become Tomei, even for immediate relatives, neither does the Nazir. Neither does another. And I both say, take a look at Rashi very quickly. Ula Acho. So it's the second short line in Rashi. Very important Rashi. Rashi says, Ula Acho. So Matam Lomar. Kabe Nazir Ksiv. Am Nefesh Meis Lo Yavo. So the Torah says that a Nazir is not permitted to become Tomei. Hare Akol B'Mashma. So both say, so just think about this just a moment. The Torah says by a Nazir, Akol Nefesh Meis Lo Yavo. Now with that phrase by itself, I would say, Whose Levaya is a Nazir permitted to attend? Who's, whose Levaya is permitted to attend? No one's. Right? Torah says he can't become Tomei. Yet the Torah still feels compelled. So even the Torah makes a statement, a Nazir can't become Tomei, which Papashtos means he can't become Tomei for anyone. The Torah still feels compelled to go back and say, by the way, for his father, his mother, his brother, his sister, he can't become Tomei. So it's redundant. So we'll say, so the Gemara understands that the redundancy is there to teach us a very important drasha. Listen to this. So I'm reading Rashi. Darush Sifri, La'aviv lo yitama. What does he mean when it says for his father he can't become Tomei? Avam tami hu mitzvah. So we'll say, his father teaches me for his father he can't become Tomei. But for a mis mitzvah, even a Nazir is permitted to become Tamei. Le'imo, ma'tamalor. What do I learn out from a mother? So the Gemara says, Shem haya koin v'nazir avapisha kadosh beis kedushos. Le'imo lo yitama avamatamu l'meis mitzvah. From imo rabosai, I learn that let's say, for example, this Nazir also happens to be the Kohen Gadol. In which case he has two kedushos, two levels of sanctification. So for his mother, he can't become Tamei. But for a mis mitzvah, he can become Tamei. The point is, Aviv, Imo, Achiv, all come to teach me that no matter what his level of sanctification, he is permitted to become Tami for a Mes Mitzvah. I, therefore the Gemara says, what do I do with La'acho So? So so again, I have drushes for Aviv, Imo, Achiv, what about Acho So? Back to the Gemara. This is incredible. So the Gemara says, "This sanyo ula achos so matam lomar." What do I learn from the word achos? So harishayo lishchot es pischo velamol es bino. Let's say a person is going to shecht his carbon pesach, or a person is going to circumcise his son. So a person is engaged in the performance of a mitzvah v'shama shemis lo meis. And now I heard that what? Now I heard that someone passed away. Someone passed away. Someone in my family passed away. Yachol Yitama, you might have thought that you should become Tamei. Now I will say, this is most acute in Karma Pesach. Let's say again, I'm going to do Karma Pesach and I hear that one of my close family members passed away. So here's my choice, right? What's my choice? My choice is I can go back to the Levaya and then what happens? No more Karma Pesach, right? Because you can't do Karma Pesach when you're in a state of ritual impurity. Or I could continue on in my Karma Pesach. So what's the halacha? So the Gemara says, Amrit lo Yitama. Therefore, the Pasuk says, Rabosai, that if it's your choice, ultimately, between attending the Levi of a close relative or doing Karban Pesach, ultimately, I continue on in Karban Pesach. Now, that is assuming, that is assuming that Halacha Lamaisa, there is someone else to bury the dead. So assuming that there's someone else to bury the dead, and now again, I can continue with my Karban Pesach. By the way, the reason we're bringing up, Tosas brings up, they are bringing up both Pesach and Brismila is because, is because both of these have a chiv kares for non-performance. So therefore, again, as long as there's someone else to bury the dead, I continue on in my mitzvah. So you might have thought the same thing applies to a mitzvah. Let's say I'm on the way to do my karma pesach, or I'm on the way to give a bris to my son. You might have thought the same way that I don't turn back for the Leviah of a relative. I also don't turn back for the Leviah of a Mes Mitzvah. Talmud Lomar, the Gemara says, Talmud Lomar, La'achoso, U'la'achoso hu de'ena metame, Aval metame le Mitzvah. Therefore, both said, the Pasuk says, U'la'achoso, 
it is only for a relative. It is only for a relative that I don't have to turn back if there's someone else to bury them. But for a mace mitzvah, I absolutely would go ahead and turn back. Now, I want to point out, a relative could also be a mace mitzvah. Right? How could it be a relative be a mace mitzvah? But right? I'm the only one. So remember again, relative and mace mitzvah are not, are not exclusive. Mace mitzvah is a reality where there's no one else to oversee the burial except for me. So from the Acho, so I learn that if I'm on my way, I'm not an Azra, I'm not a Kohen, I'm just a Pasha the Yid who's on the way to do the Kavit Pesach or on the way to do Bris Milah. And now I hear someone died, someone, a close relative of mine died. So again, I have a choice. I could go back and lose out the opportunity to do the mitzvah, bury the dead, or continue on. So the Gemara says, it depends. If there's someone else to take care of the burial, continue on. If there's not someone else to continue on the burial, that's a nice mitzvah, turn back. Incredible. So by Rav, I'm supposed to say, continuing the hierarchy, by Rav, Mikra Megillah, Umeis Mitzvah, Heminai Adif. This is an interesting case. So now I both say, what happens if you pit the two strongest mitzvahs against each other right now? Mikra Megillah, so we've already established in the hierarchy, Mikra Megillah trumps Avoda, trumps Talmud Torah, and now you have Meis Mitzvah. What happens if there's a conflict between Mikra Megillah and Meis Mitzvah? Says the Gemara. So, so Heminai Adif, which one is more important? Or which one takes precedence? Not really important. Which one takes precedence? Mikra Megillah Adif, Mishum Persume Nisa. Do we say the reading of the Megillah takes precedence because there's Persume Nisa, there's a certain publicity that is associated with Mikra Megillah? Oh, Dilma, Meis Mitzvah Adif, Mishum Kavar Abrios. Or maybe Meis Mitzvah is more important. Why? Because of Kavod Habrios. Because of Osai, of human dignity. So which one takes precedence? Basar Debaya Hadir Pashte, after he asked it, it was answered, Meis Mitzvah Adif. Bosai, there's a conflict between Mikra Megillah Meis Mitzvah. Meis Mitzvah takes precedence. Why? The Gemara says, The Amar Mar Godl Kavod Abrios Shedocha Eslo Sase Shabbatora. Kavod Abrios, human dignity is so powerful that it even has the ability to set aside a biblical prohibition. And I will say, which biblical prohibition does Kavad Abrio set aside? Look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says, It's very interesting. I will say, the halacha is, if you see a lost object lying on the ground, you see a lost object lying on the ground, you have an obligation to go ahead and pick it up and try to find the owner. And there's a biblical prohibition of You are not permitted to go ahead and look away. Now, there's an exception to that rule, Rashi says. There is an exception to that rule. The exception to that rule is, let's say, let's say the particular lost object is beneath the dignity of the finder to retrieve it and pick it up. Let, let's, say, let's say a Tamut Chacham is walking and he finds a sock. He finds a sock. So, Bepashtos, it's not, it's, not, it's not the right covet to the Tamut Chacham to pick up the sock and try to go ahead and find the owner of the sock. In that case, in that case, one is permitted not to go ahead and retrieve the lost item. So you see over here, why? Because it would be a fr- an affront to the dignity of the Tam Tchacham to pick up such a Messiah, to pick up such a lost object. So you see from here, God will cover that brios. Look how great cover that brios is, that it's doche elosase. Even, the Torah, even though the Torah says, you're not allowed to go ahead and look away. The Torah says again, when it's a conflict with human dignity, you're permitted to. Therefore, as great as the reading of the Megillah is, when there's a conflict between Mikra Megillah and Meis Mitzvah, ultimately again, Meis Mitzvah. And Zerosa is incredible because actually in Smichas Chavar, this past Monday night, we just spoke about Kavad Abrios. We just literally did this topic of Kavad Abrios and how on Hilcho Shabbos, Kavad Abrios sets aside Dirabanans. Imamish has had this sugya. Incredible. Says the Gemar Gufa. So we'll say, let's analyze. Amrei B'Shot Levi. We had this two days ago. Krach. Actually, yesterday. Krach v'chala samuchlo v'chala nira imo nidon krach. So we'll say, we learned an interesting halacha. That walled cities, right, read on the 15th. And not only that, any city, any city that could see a walled city, Right, and any city that is next to a walled city has the status of a walled city. Has the status of a walled city. But it's about it, just like to illustrate this, I think in an interesting way. I don't know what the halacha is. I was thinking about this. That you know, if when you drive out of Yerushalayim, you know, drive out of Yerushalayim, Mevaseret Sion is you know perched on a hilltop. 
right? And literally, again, you can see just the topography as such that you can see Yerushalayim from Mivaseret. So that's an interesting case. I, I don't know halacha what they do there on, uh, on, on Purim, but again, any, any city that could see Yerushalayim or, or any walled city or is close to the Gemara. So let's analyze this case. So it says the Gimartana, Samoch Afabisha Eno Nira, Nira Afabisha Eno Samoch. And by the way, so the Bryce says, if it's close, even if it can't be seen, or if it can be seen, even if it's not close, it still has the status of a walled city. So let's analyze. Bishlam Nira Afabisha Eno Samoch. So I understand the case of a city, of a city that could see a walled city, even though it's not close. So we'll say, for example, if you have a walled city that's perched on top of a mountain, right? So you could go ahead and you could see the walled city, even though what? Even though what? You're very far away. But I will say, how do you ever have a case of a walled city that is in close proximity but yet can't be seen? Very simple. It's situated in a valley. So you could have a situation where the walled city is geographically close, but it can't be seen because it is situated in the valley. We'll see another interesting case. We'll say, watch this. Now we're going to begin to get into the definition of a walled city. And the definition of a walled city is a city that was walled before it was inhabited. But if the city was first inhabited and then the wall was added later on, that city does not have the status of a walled city. That has the status, literally, Kfar means a village, but has the status of an unwalled city. So the wall has to precede habitation. My time, what's the reason for this? Says the Gemara. Here it happens to be, the Rashi says, we're talking about the topic of Bate Arechoma. Of Bate Arechoma, Bosei means homes, there are halachos that, that legislate real estate transactions in Eretz Yisrael. So for example, if you sell a home in a walled city, you have up to one year to redeem that purchase. If you do not redeem that purchase in one year, that purchase is irrevocable. In other words, it doesn't even revert back to the original owners at Yovel. At Yovel. The Sefer Achinuch explains the reason for that is because walled cities were often border cities and were the first line of security in Eretz Yisrael. In order for the security of the city to work, the inhabitants have to know the city and the inhabitants have to know each other. You can't have homes constantly changing hands in walled cities. Therefore, the Sefer Achinuch says, you sell, a, you sell a home in the walled city, you have one year to redeem it. If you don't redeem it in that one year, it's, that's it. It's not going back every, you can't have stuff going back and forth every 50 years. It's, it's sold what we call lechalutin, in an irrevocable sale. So the Gemara says, so Rashi says, therefore, what's the definition of a walled city? A city that had a wall first and habitation afterwards. So my time of Dixiv, if a person will sell a base Moshev Ir Choma. So the Gemara says, base Moshev Shel Ir Choma. The way we read it is, a city that was inhabited in a city that has a wall. So the, the indication is that ultimately, again, it is the wall that was there prior to the habitation. Shehukov, Ulubasov Yashov, Veloshi Yashov, Ulubasov Hukov. It has to be that it was walled first and then inhabited, and not inhabited first and then walled. Interesting. Probably Shavon Levi, listen to this. Krach She'in Ba'asarabat Lanin, Nidon Kikfar. So listen to this, Rabbi If you have a, a city that doesn't have Asara Batlanim, right? Now, Rabbi now remember again, when we speak about a Krach, right? So Krach normally refers to a walled city. Right? Here in this case, it refers to a large city as well. What's the definition of a large city? One that has Asara Batlanin. So we'll say, that's okay, that's great. Every city has Asara Batlanin, right? At least Asara Batlanin. Right? So we'll say, in this case, Batlanin is not a disparaging term, right? In this case, Batlanin actually means something different. Look at Rashi. Asara Batlanin, Shevetelin Mimalachton. These are 10 individuals who don't have outside work. Rather, what's their occupation? So the Gemara says, Shiyu Mitsuyin. Tamid bebeis hakneses shachris ve'arvis. These are ten people whose job it is to make sure there is always a minion in shul. 
That's their occupation. They make sure there's always a minion in the morning and in the evening. Because the Gemara says, the Ribbon Olam, on one hand, is overjoyed when he comes, quote unquote, and there is a minion, and is dismayed when there is not a minion. So the, the function of a larger city is that, now obviously, I will say, if these guys aren't working, what does that mean? What does that mean? Right. Someone supporting them, right? So therefore, again, interestingly enough, the, the kind of like the way we see if a city is a larger city is do they have the ability to support Asara Batlanin? So, Krakshi Yeshba Asara Batlanin, Nidon Kikfar, I'm sorry, Krakshi Inba Asara Batlanin, Nidon Kikfar. So, therefore, a city that doesn't have 10 Batlanin is like a village. My Kamash Malon, Tanina, Ezuhi Irgidola, Koshi Yeshba Asara Batlanin, what's the definition of a large city? Any city that has 10 Batlanin, Pachos Mikan, less than this, Harezek Far. Ultimately, again, it's a village. To which the Gemara says the reason why we need this is as follows: Krach Afagav de Me Alma. Supposed to listen to this. See, here's the difference. You could have a Krach, which is a large walled city, and I both say you might have at any given time because it's a. It could be a center point. Many individuals frequenting this city. Therefore, it's quite possible that at any given time there are always ten people in shul. Yomar says, no, no, that's not what makes a large city large. It has to be 10 people who are on the payroll of the city, whose job it is, who are designated to go ahead and make sure that there is a minion in the shul. The fact that incidentally, right, there may be people who are always around, that does not create the Asara Batlanim dynamic. Incredible. Says the Gimara. Says the Gimara. Listen to this. Krach Shecharov Yashov. Nidon Kikrach. Supposed to listen to this. If you have a walled city that was destroyed and subsequently inhabited, it has the status of a walled city. Okay, what does that mean? So my charov, what does it mean it was destroyed? So if you want to say that the case we're dealing with over here is that the walls were destroyed, and what you're telling me is if the walls were destroyed and then rebuilt, it regains its status of a walled city. Well, Vahatanya, we learned, Rabbi Elazar Bayosi Omer, Asher. Remember again, we learned, we've learned in general, when, when you come to the halachos of, old, of walled cities, of walled cities, that halacha lemaisa, that in order to be considered a walled city, you don't necessarily have to have your wall presently. You just have to have had it at some particular pivotal time. So I will say, he's talking over about walled cities, about like real estate walled cities. But the truth thing about this by Mikra Megillah. What's the definition of a walled city by Mikra Megillah? For Megillah purposes, what's the definition of a walled city? What's the definition? It had a city, it was Machlokas, right? Is it the time of Yoshua, time of Achashverosh? But what's clear is, in order to be considered a walled city, it doesn't have to have its wall in perpetuity, right? It just has to have had its wall at one significant point historically. So obviously, again, a city could be a walled city, even if presently it doesn't have a wall. To which the Gemara says, Elamai Charov, what does it mean, Charov? Shecharov me'asara batlanim. What it means, we'll say, is as follows. That if you have a city that had a Sarah Batlanim, right, and therefore was considered to be a large city, and therefore at some point lost its ten Batlanim, right, lost its status as a large city. And then what happened? It regained its Asara Batlanim and has the ability to regain its former status. Okay, it, with, with all of the implications of that. Later, Shoban Levi says, Tap of Dalit, Lud, Va'ono, Vegaya Harashim, Mukafos Choma Mimos Yeshua Binun. So Mosai comes along, Rabbi Shoban Levi, and says, By the way, I want to tell you about certain cities which were walled historically. So Lud, Ono, Gaya Harashim, these are all cities which were walled from the times of Yeshua Binun, and therefore Halacha they read on the 15th like any walled city. So the Mars really? Vahani Yoshua Banani, is that true? Yoshua was the one who quote unquote built these cities? Or they were walled at his time. Baha al pael bananhi. Betravasa, we have on record that in fact these cities were actually not really walled, were not built until later on in history. They were built by a man by the name of al pael dixiv ubene al pael ever umisham vishamed hu bana es ono ve es lud ve es binoseho. So the policy seems to indicate that, oh yes, we'll agree the cities are walled. 
but they were walled later on in history, after the times of Yoshua ben Nun. And according to this logic, Asa Banani, is it, was it, was it Alpael? It was in fact Asa, Dixivayiven Asas Arya Beturas Sherli Yehuda, to which the Gimara says, Amrabi Lazar, Hanimukafas Khanwas Yeshua ben Nun Havu. But really, these cities were all walled in the times of Yoshua. So the Gemara says, however, what happened? So, I'm sorry. So then the walls of these cities were destroyed during the episode of the Pilegesh Begiva. Remember again, we just had this at the end of Tainus by Tuba'av, right? One of the reasons for the Simcha of Tuba'av is that Shevet Binyamin was permitted to remarry or to re-enter into the union of the Shvatim. Why were they kicked out? Because of the whole episode by Pilegesh Begiva. So the walls of these cities were destroyed during this episode. Va'asa Elpael Banani, Elpahel came along and he rebuilt them. Hadar Inpal, then they fell down again. Asa Asa Shepat and Asa came along and repaired the walls. There was a interestingly enough, a very interesting, interesting history lesson. Lud Ono Gayacharashim were originally walled during the times of Yoshua. The walls of these cities were destroyed during the episode of Pilegesh Begiva. El Pael rebuilt them. They subsequently fell into a state of disrepair and Asa made the repairs. Okay, but again, what you begin to see just is a, is a fantastic illustration, a fantastic illustration of the, of the fact that the definition of a walled city is, as we said before, all you need was to have had a wall at a particular historical juncture. If you had the wall then, you're in. Even if subsequently your wall fell into disrepair, you don't have a wall at all, Allah I say you're in. Incredible. So we'll say, says, says the Gemara. We'll say, I'll just point out, by the way, what's another fascinating thing is we know that Allah I say, even in, in Eretz Yisrael, right? In other words, which cities are walled cities are not necessarily things for which you have historic. I'll give you a good example. Historic, sorry, again, Allah. Even which cities are walled cities are not necessarily things for which we have accurate historical record. For example, a number of years ago, a number of years ago, they discovered a wall around the city of Hebron that goes ahead and dates back to prior to the times of Yoshua bin Nun. So amazingly enough, Hebron was reading as an unwalled city. I believe now, I believe now they observe both days of Purim in Hebron because of the discovery of the wall. So I'm just pointing out, it's fascinating, you know, you're talking about knowing if you're a walled city in times of Yoshua bin Nun or not, some of that information is still being discovered contemporarily. Quite amazing. We will say, fantastic. So again, I'm lady. Noshim chayavos b'mikra megillah. Women are obligated in mikra megillah. Sha'af hein hayu ba'osahanes. Because they were also included in the miracle. Now, I will say, this is a fascinating sugya for which we do not have sufficient, if, if I have any chance of, of catching up with the daf. So we, we can't go into it too much, but I just want to show you a couple of very quick things. Look at Rashi. Rashi says, Sha'af al hanoshim gozer haman lahashmid larog uli abed minar vi azakin tafidashim. So Rashi understands, af hinayu ba'osahanes means, that they were part of the decree of destruction. That when Haman wanted to destroy Cloud Yisrael, obviously the women were included in that. So they're part, they were part of the decree and therefore they were part of the salvation of the miracle as well. Tosis says something interesting. Tosis, we're say, take a look at Tosis. Sha'afina Yuba Osanis, very quickly. Perish Rashbam. Perish Rashbam. So Sha'af. Uh, so he quotes Rashbam who says that means means that he called Rashbam. Rashbam holds that means that they were the a woman was the architect of salvation, right? Estramalko. Esther Malko was the architect of salvation. So the Gemara says, Sorry, <laughs> So I just want to point out over here, 
there is the machlokis as to how to understand the phrase Afin Hayu Baosahanes. Rashi Rashi and Tosas in his Svara and in his conclusion indicate Afaniyu Baosanes means they were also subject to the decree of annihilation. Of annihilation. And therefore, again, therefore they're obligated in the mitzvah, they are including the decree of annihilation and therefore including the salvation. Trashbam says, Afhenayubaosanes means no, that a woman or women were the architects of salvation. They were the architects of salvation by Hanukkah, by Purim, and by Pesach. And by Pesach. So just an interesting, an interesting machlokis here, exactly how to understand that phrase. I will say, I'll just give you another interesting maramakom. The previous Tosas, Nashen Chayavos B'mikra Megillah, if you notice, by the way, seems to indicate that women have an obligation just like men for Mikra Megillah. If that's the case, then technically speaking, a woman should be able to be motzi a man in Mikra Megillah as well. So just pointing out, it's a fascinating halachic discussion. It's Tosas over here, Nashim Chayos of Mikra Megillah. You can even see Mikan Mashma, Shanashim Motzios, Esachirim Yedechovasan. Sa'ay and Shan, you'll take a look there. An incredibly fascinating sugya that again is still contemporarily being discussed as well. Good. From Yeshua Ben Levi, Yeshua Ben Levi says, "Parim shechaliyos b'shabbos." I'm sorry. I know we should delve more into it, but if we have time at the end of this year, I'll come back to do that Tosas Nashim. But if not, you'll you'll take a look at it. From Yeshua Ben Levi, "Parim shechaliyos b'shabbos." When Purim falls out on Shabbos, Sholim Ladarshim Binyano Shalyom. Now, both say now, we already pointed out that Allah Chalamaisa, when Purim, when the 14th of Adar falls out on Shabbos, we advance the Megillah reading to Friday. To Friday. Right? But yet, now we're seeing something different. When Purim falls out on Shabbos, Halacha Lamaisa, Sholim Vidarshim Binyano Shalchag, which is that Halacha Lamaisa, we discuss the Halachos of Purim on Purim, on Shabbos. On Shabbos. So the Gemara says, okay, my area Purim, the truth is that's not unique to Purim. I feel the Yomtiv Nami. I both say that's true with any Yomtiv. This Sanyo, Moshe, Tikkan, and Yisrael, Shu, Sholom, and Darshim, and Yanosha, Yom, Hilchos, Pesach, Pesach, Hilchos, Atzaris, Atzaris, Hilchos, Chag, Bechag. I both say, this was one of the Takanas of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu Paskin, or I should say, he instituted that Halacha Lamaisa, you should always study the Halachos of. Yomtiv on Yomtiv. So you should study the halachos of Pesach on Pesach, the halachos of Shavuos on Shavuos, the halachos of Sukkis on Sukkis. So says, so what's, of course, therefore, if Purim falls out on a Shabbos, you should study the halachos of Purim on Shabbos, on Purim. I'll tell you why I would have thought otherwise. It's Shri Chalei. Malon. I might have thought they know. Remember, we'll say, already, we're not observing Purim on Purim, right? When Purim falls out on Shabbos, not reading the Megillah. Why not? Why not? What are we concerned about? You may come to carry the Megillah. I would have thought, here's the Havamina. I would have thought, therefore, when Purim falls out on Shabbos, we shouldn't even learn Hilchos Purim on Shabbos. Why not? Why not? Lest you come to go ahead and carry the Megillah, which is not so crazy. I'm learning Hilchos Purim. Let me learn, right? Hilchos Purim, so much as we're going to see. So much of the Hilchos Purim are gleaned from the Psukim of the Megillah. So I might have thought that therefore, Halacha Lema I shouldn't even learn the Halacha Lema lest I come to carry the Megillah. Kamash no. Kamash you can't read the Megillah, but you can read the Halachas. Beautiful. Rabbi Shabbat Levi. Chayiv Adam, we'll say this beautiful Gemara. Chayiv Adam, Likros HaMegillah Balayla, Vilishnov Sabayom. Watch this. A person is obligated to read the Megillah at night and to repeat the Megillah by day. By day. Shene Amar, where do I know this from? So the Gemara says, first of all, take a look at Rashi. But actually, not yet. So Shene Amar, Elokai Ekra Yomam, Velo Sane, Velaila, Velo Dumioli. Because the Pasik says, Hashem, I call out to you by day, but I am not answered. And at night, I will not be silent. So let's say, take a look at Rashi for just a moment. Vlishno Sabayom, Zechar Lenes, So we go ahead and we read the Megillah. Right at night, and we repeat it by day to remember the miracle. The Jews cried out to Akkadish Baruch for salvation both by day and by night. Now, look at Rashi Ekra. So, i just point out over here the Gemara is quoting from Tehillim Chaf Beis, right? We're going to see Ayelas Hashachar, the Gemara is going to darshan as a reference. To Esther HaMalka. To Esther HaMalka. We'll discuss this. So the Gemara says, 
We'll say it's a very, that's the very moving capital with the phrase, Keli, Keli, Lama, Azavtani. That's a reference to Esther Malka. We're going to see this whole beautiful Gemara. So therefore, again, so I call out to Echadish Baruch Hu by day, right? And I, you don't answer me. And therefore, at night, I repeat, right? At night, I won't, I won't be silent. So we'll say, Sisiu, we are crying out by day and by night. Savarmina, Maybe it means I read the Megillah at night and I learn the halachas, I learn the Mishnayis by day. How do you know what it means to read, to read the Megillah? Amr Lahu Rabbi Yirmiya. It's like what people say. It's like what people say. I'll learn this parsha and then I'll repeat it. Right? That's, right? That's, so, so the idea over here is that the pasuk is referring to repeating something. I call out to you by day, you don't answer me, and at night I won't be silent. Just like sometimes people will learn a particular sugya and then they'll repeat the sugya in its entirety. So the Gemara goes weiter. We'll a person is obligated to read the Megillah at night and to review it or to repeat it by day. I will sing about your praise. And I will not be silent. Hashem my God, I will forever give you praise. We'll say we're darshaning. I write, I will sing about your covered, velo yidom, and I will not be silent, which indicates the Gemara's darshaning, I'll say something twice. So we'll say, interestingly enough, what's happening over here is as follows. Everyone's agreeing that Allah Chalamais, you read the Megillah twice, once at night, once by day. Now, what's interesting to point out is as follows. If you take a look at the last Tosus, very quickly, Tosus says, Both say, by the way, if you notice, we do something very interesting by Megillah, which is, we say Shechiono at night, and we say Shechiono by day. Now, it's true. What do we do with the daytime Shechiono? What do we do with the daytime Shechiono? We say it's also on Shalach Manas, Matanas Le'ev Yonim, Sudas Purim. We tell the Balkore, right? We tell the Balkore, wear something new. So Tosa says it's interesting. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we'll say, where am I making the Shech where, where am I making it? Where, where am I making it? By Mikra Megillah. So Tosa says, you see something very important over here. The Iker Persume Nisa Havi Bikriya Diyamama. Ultimately, again, I will say, the Iker Persume Nisa. The Iker publicity of the miracle of Purim is done by day, which makes sense, which makes sense because daytime, easier for people to gather. Therefore, even though we make a Shech at night, we make another Shech by day because the Iker Persume Nisa is by day. And Tulsa says it's even clear in the Pasuk. Because we'll say, what's the first Pasuk? The Gemara Darshans. Elokai Ekra Yomam. Hashem, I'll call out to you by day, you don't answer. And at night I won't be silent. What comes first? What comes first in the Pasik? Day and then night. And it's interesting. This is the, the Pasik that Yimar is using to darshan the obligation to read the Megillah at night and by day. But you see from here that the daytime reading is the Iker. Is the Iker. So just interestingly enough, Datsetosis also says, Iker Su'uda is by day, right? There's no din of Su'uda by night. The daytime of Purim, we're going to see this come up over and over again. The daytime, the daytime celebration of Purim, both by Megillah as well as by Su'uda, is the Iker Persumanisa. We'll say, I'll just point out something really beautiful. You know, Rabbi Soloveitchik points out that if you notice, the Gemara is darshaning, two very different types of psukim over here, right? Everyone's agreeing on the bottom line, which is that Allah you have to read the Megillah by day and by night. But I will say, look at the difference in the psukim. Remember, again, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi is saying, we have, how do you know you have to read the Megillah by day and by night? Elokai ekra yomam velosana, Hashem, I call out to you by day, you don't answer me. You don't answer me. Velayla velodumi ali, but at night I won't be silent. And yet, the second opinion, right, the second opinion, Ula, Hashem, I will call out in your covenant and I won't be silent. I won't be silent. But I'll say the first Pasuk, the first Pasuk is a Pasuk of pain. Is a Pasuk of pain. I'm calling out to you. I'm calling out to you. Why are you not answering me? If you're not going to answer me, I won't be silent at night either. Second Pasuk, joy and jubilation. Hashem, I'm singing out to you, and I won't be silent. And the Rav says something so beautiful. He says, 
that herein lies part of the dynamic of Purim. Right? Purim, Purim is the paradigmatic example of an incomplete geula, of a geula of a redemption that is laced with so much pain. We're going to see, we don't say halal on Purim. Right, which is really strange. So the Gemara says, ah, because you have the Megillah, Kriyasa, Zuhilula, the reading of the Megillah is the Halal. But the real reason that we don't go ahead and say Halal on Purim is why? Akate Because Purim is not a complete Geula. Purim, right, at the end of the Purim story, we're still going ahead and what? We're still going ahead and it's still the servants of Achashverosh. Not only that, but Rabbi Salvechik makes such an amazing observation. He says, you know, it's incredible that at the end of the Megillah, right? At the end of the Megillah, everybody's all excited. Everybody's all excited, right? Shoshanas Yaakov, Tzalav Esamecha, great. Everyone's happy. If you think about it, by the way, everybody's happy except for who? Except for the, right, the heroine of the story, right? Esther is locked in a marriage to a man that she does not want to be married to. She's locked in a life that she does not want to be part of. She's locked into circumstances of, that were not of her own choosing. That this is this dynamic of Purim. It's a bittersweet salvation. The nation is saved. The nation is saved. Individuals are sacrificed. Gula has come, but at the end of the day, the ominous threat of an unpredictable, tyrannical ruler still hovers over us. And that's why very much Purim, Purim is a very real life celebration. Because it's rare, it's rare in life to have a celebration that's absolute. Right? Think about this in just a moment. Rare in life that a person has a simcha where there's absolutely no other problems hovering around. More often in life, life is Purim. Life is Purim, right? There's beauty, there's wonder, there's celebration, there's excitement, there's simcha, and there's this problem, and there's this challenge, and there's this threat, and there's this difficulty. There's all these different things. Again, I'm trying to stay focused on the positive, but there's all of these incredible difficulties and challenges that are hovering all around me. Life is Purim, and Purim is life. And the Rav says, you see this reflected in two different opinions, highlighting two different psukim, two different psukim, to give me the obligation to read the Megillah by day and by night. One pasuk, I'm going to keep singing. I'm going to sing at night. I'm going to sing by day. I'm never going to be silent. Joy, jubilation. And a second pasuk, I'm crying out to you for help. And you don't answer me. So because you don't answer me, I'm going to keep on calling out. And it's not a contradiction. They're both highlighting the dialectic of Purim. The two sides of Purim. The joy and jubilation on one hand, but also the, the, the difficulty and the sadness and the loss and the sacrifice on the other hand, and they're intertwined one with the other, which is why, which is why Purim is, out of all of our Yamim Tovim, is probably the greatest display, the greatest embodiment, the paradigmatic example of the human condition. Let's go back there. Ultimately, again, the Kfarim, right, the villages, the villages, remember, again, have the ability to advance to the nearest market day, or, or the nearest entry day. Amr Rabbi Chanina, Chacham, listen to this. Chacham, Chachamim, Hekilu ala kfarim, Lios maktim liyom aknisa, Kadeshi yispeku mayim umazon, mayim umazon, laachim shebekrachim. So we'll say, so now listen to this. So remember again, what, so I'll say, there's two things happening over here which I want to bring together. So if you remember again, in the Mishnah, in the Mishnah, in the Mishnah, it seemed to be the reason why the villages were permitted to advance their reading to the previous Monday or Thursday was why? Was why? Remember Rashi from the Mishnah was why? Because they don't have a minion. And they don't have a balkore. Then when we get to the Gemara, it seems to be that the reason we're allowing them to go ahead and advance their reading is why? Because we need them to be available to go ahead and provide food, right? To the larger cities on Purim itself. And if the villagers are busy with, with Megillah and their own mitzvahs by day, they're not going to have the bandwidth to take care of the needs of the larger city. To which the Gemara says, Lememra, Lememra, Amadeis, Lememra, Ditakanta de Krachinavu. So we'll say, it sounds like, it sounds like from here that's what? It sounds like from here, I just do it over here. It sounds like from here that Halach Alamaisa, the reason we allow the villages, to advance their reading is not for the villages. Not for the villages, right? Who is it for? Who is it for? For the cities. In other words, in other words we, we want the villagers, we want the villagers, not to say the village people, but that doesn't sound right, right? right? We, we, we're, right. We're, we're about to go ahead and we're about to, to we're, we're telling the villagers 
that we want you to be free on Purim to provide for the needs of the larger cities. So this is not for the benefit of the villages. This is for the benefit of the cities. So Gemara said, really, Vatnan, Chalios, B'Sheni, Kfarim, Bayaros, Karim, Bo, Bayom. said, we learned. Do you remember when the 14th falls out on a Monday? What's that locha? Villages read on that day. V'im Isa. Now, I remember again, if the ability to advance is for the benefit of really the larger cities, so when the 14th falls out on a Monday, when should villages read? When should they read? What should they read, Rabosai? The previous Thursday. Vimisa Liktimuliomaknisa. No, no, you can't do that. Why not? Havalu Asara. Because Rabosai, if the 14th is a Monday, then the previous Thursday is the 10th. And the 10th, remember again, we saw in the Mishnah that the, early, the earliest three, the Megillah is when? Is when? On the 11th. So the Gemara says, Asara, Losakin Rabbanon. Sefer Rabosai, that's just different. That's just different. There's no, you can't advance them. In other words, in that case, where the 14th falls out on Monday, there's nowhere to advance the villages. And again, remember, the only, you're only advancing, advancing villages to Mondays or Thursdays, not to previous days. So the Gemara says, so the Gemara says as follows. Tashma, chalios bechamishi, if the 14th falls out on a Thursday, kfarim ba'ayaros gedolos korim bo'bayom, villages and large unwalled cities read on that day. Now once again, ve'im isa, if it's true that the reason we advance the villages is for the benefit of the larger cities, then what? Ultimately, again, advance them to the previous Monday. Right? So we'll say if the 14th falls out on Thursday, then Monday is what? Monday is what? Monday is the 11th. It works. It works. Advance them to the previous Monday, and therefore they could take care of the needs of the villages on the 14th, on Thursday. To which the Gemara says, No, no, no. We don't go ahead. In other words, we'll say... The way that Chazal set up their Takana is, we're happy to advance the villages to the nearest, to the previous Monday or Thursday. But if the 14th already falls out on a Monday or a Thursday, we're leaving it. We're leaving it. We're not, we're not messing with that. So Tashma, Amrav Yehuda, Emasai, Bemakom Shinech Nasa Bishanei Furthermore, again, when do we advance the villages to the nearest Monday or Thursday? That's when it's a village that actually goes into the cities on Mondays and Thursdays. However, but if the particular villages in question, let's say both said they just don't normally enter into the larger cities on Mondays and Thursdays. In that case, we will not advance their reading and they'll just read on the 14th like any other walled city. Unwalled city, sorry. And, but if you think that the reason we advance the villages ultimately is as a benefit to the large unwalled cities, then ultimately, then just because the villages don't normally enter on Monday and Thursday, why should the larger cities lose out? In other words, what's bothering the Gemara over here is the way you're framing it is the reason we're advancing the villages is so to benefit the larger cities. This way, the villagers are free on Purim itself and they could take care of the Su'udah needs of the larger cities. Well, if that's the case, who cares if they normally enter into the larger cities Mondays and Thursdays? You should always just advance their reading to the nearest Monday or Thursday so that they are free to take care of the needs of the villagers, of the, of the city dwellers, sorry. To which the Umar says, Ela ima mipnei shemesapkin mazon mayim umazonachim shebekrafim. Rather, I will say, don't read it as in order to allow, but rather read it as because they do. What does that mean? Because they want to go ahead and, because they go ahead and see to the needs, the water and the, and the, or the food and drink of those who dwell in the cities. What does this mean? Look at Rashi, second line from the top. No, this takana was made for the benefit of the villages, not for the benefit of the cities. So because it was natural, see, I guess the, the system that they're highlighting over is as follows. You have people who dwelled in cities. Now in cities, generally, what don't you have? What don't you have? Produce. Right, produce. You don't have farmland. You don't have farmland. So cities often relied on surrounding villages for their food. So what would happen? Purim, Purim, right? There's a Suda, 
right? There's a Suda. So what's going to happen? The people in the cities require the villagers to be able to bring food. So Chazal said, for the benefit of the villages, Purim is going to be a busy day for you. It's going to be a busy day. Therefore, Halacha what we're going to do is allow you to read Megillah earlier, right? So now the question is, okay, so how do we decide which day to go ahead and allow them to read the Megillah earlier? Well, anyway, Mondays and Thursdays, it was common for them to go into the larger cities, to go into the larger cities. And therefore, again, the villages are permitted to advance their reading to the nearest Monday and Thursday. But the benefit is really to make things a bit easier on the villages. Then, interestingly enough, it also addresses another issue. What's the other issue? That often in villages, they did not have a balkore, right? And often in villages, maybe they didn't even have a minion. So you, you kill two birds with one stone. In other words, you go ahead and you make things easier on the villages, and that therefore Purim, which in general was a busy day because they were seeing to the material needs of the larger cities, you allow them to dispense their obligation on Megillah a little bit earlier on, and coupled with that is the fact that often they didn't have the balkore or the minion to be able to go ahead and take care of Mikra Megillah. So therefore we take care of everything in one fell swoop. Rabbi said, but with limitations. What are the limitations? If the 14th is falling out on a Monday and Thursday, then what? Then what? We're not advancing that. We're, we're, we're leaving that as is. Right, we're leaving that as is. And also, if I'm good, we'll leave it like that. So therefore, on both sides, it turns out, it turns out that the takana, it was just a mutually beneficial takana. It benefited everyone, but it was primarily made for the benefit of the villages, not to, in order to make things easier for the villages, not for the benefit of the walled cities. Unwalled cities, sorry, the larger cities. Even though the larger cities, of course, benefited from this as well. Beautiful. Remember again, the Mishnah then went through all of the different cases. Remember, the way, well, say, just to point out a word, the Gemara's focus on over is as follows. The way the Mishnah is set up is the Mishnah first begins with a discussion of dates and then launches into a discussion of days of the week. Right, so the Mishnah begins by saying, Megillah Nikres, Biradav, Birbez, Birgimel, Biradav, Bitesvav. Calendrical dates. Then, when the Mishnah goes through the cases, the Mishnah illustrates them by going through the days of the week. So, Ketzad, Chalios, Bisheni, Bishabbos, right? If the 14th falls out on a Monday. So the Gemara says, Inshallah, Maishna Reisha, Denaket, Sidura, Diyarcha, or Maishna Sefa, Denaket, Sidura, Diyomi. Why is it that the Mishnah began with a discussion of calendrical dates, 11, 12, 13, 14, right, and 15. And why is it that later on in the Mishnah, ultimately, again, we go by the order of the days of the week, right? To which the Gemara says, I'll tell you why. Because say, remember again, remember, if you would have gone by the calendrical dates, you would have had to work backwards in the days of the week. In other words, in order to align, in order to go ahead and illustrate how it turns out, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, you'd have to start on Sunday and work your way back in the week. Therefore, just in order to make it a little bit more comprehensible, the Mishnah wants to work from Monday and on and not from Sunday and back. Beautiful. Chalios Be'er Shabbos. Shabbos says, so remember again, the Mishnah said that what happens if the 14th falls out on Erev Shabbos? What did we say? So the Mishnah said, the Mishnah said, Chalios Erev Shabbos, Kfarim Akdim Liyom So remember again, Abba said, let's play this out. 14th falls out on Friday. So what happens? Villages, villages will read when? Read when? Thursday, the 13th, right? And in that case, what will happen when the 14th falls out on Friday? So remember again, unwalled cities and walled cities will read on Friday, right? Because remember again, walled cities can't read on Shabbos because you can't read the Miguel on Shabbos. And why can't they read on Sunday? Why can't they read on Sunday? Sorry, the 16th. Good. So we'll say, so that's the halacha that falls on Erev Shabbos. Remember again, villages will advance to Thursday, the 13th. And walled cities and unwalled cities will both read on the 14th on Erev Shabbos. Says the Gemara, Masnis in money, who's it paying? Does our Mishnah reflect? Irebi, Irabiosi. The truth is, it could be either Rebbe or Rabiosi. So, what do we know? What, my Rebbe, which, which opinion of Rebbe are you referring to? Here we go. Disanyo, Chalios, Erev Shabbos, if the 14th falls out on a Friday, Kfarim, Vayoros, Kidolos, Maktim, Liamaknisa. Ultimately, again, Kfarim, villages. And Ayaros Gidolos, large cities, 
advance their reading to Thursday. So most of this is now another opinion, right? This other opinion says that once, once, once you go ahead and 14th is falling out on Friday, all unwalled cities, villages and large unwalled cities will advance to Thursday. And walled cities will read on Friday the 14th. So we'll see here what's happening. The 14th is falling out on Friday. So this opinion, this opinion is in Tanakama saying, this opinion is saying, all unwalled cities advance to the 13th, Thursday. Walled cities will read on the 14th, that Friday. Rabbi Omer Rabbi says no. Rabbi Omer, Omer Ani. No, what are you talking about? Why should unwalled cities move from Friday the 14th? They should read on Friday the 14th. Rather, Rebbe will say, I'm fine with moving the villages towards Thursday. That, that, that makes sense. But both walled cities and unwalled cities will read on Friday the 14th. So Rebbe will say, fundamental machlokis between the Tanakama and Rebbe when the 14th falls out on Friday. Let's start with Rebbe. Rebbe says, 14th falls out on Friday. Leave unwalled cities on Friday. That's their natural day. Who do we have to adjust? Who do we have to adjust? Villages will go to Thursday the 13th, and walled cities will read when? Together with unwalled cities on the 14th. Tanakama says no. Tanakama says when, when? The Friday, when, when is Friday the 14th? Unwalled cities and villages, all unwalled cities go back to the 13th, and walled cities will read on Friday the 14th. So the says, well, what's going on over here? My time at Tanakama. So we'll say, what's the logic over here? Why does the Tanakama hold that all unwalled cities are pushed back to the 14th? Here we go. Because we'll say, the Megillah says that we have to observe Purim every year. What does this mean? We'll say, just like in a regular year, unwalled cities always celebrate Purim before walled cities. Afkan Ayaros called Muslim Mukafin. So too over here, unwalled cities have to celebrate before walled cities. And therefore, I will say, when it's Friday the 14th, we're going to push back all unwalled cities to what? To Thursday the 13th. Walled cities will celebrate on the 14th. And this way, you have unwalled cities celebrating before walled cities. Afkan lo koman. But why don't you make another argument? Why don't you say, just like every other year, right? Walled, unwalled cities should read on the 14th and they should not be moved from their place. So to over here, unwalled cities should remain on Friday the 14th, to which the Gemara says, No, 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 it's different over here because there's no other option. In other words, they're both saying, the Tanakhama holds that the way, the structure of Purim is that unwalled cities always read before walled cities. And the, that, that's, their, that's, their, that's their immutable structure. And therefore, when, Friday, when the 14th falls out on Friday, therefore we know by definition we have to move back the walled cities to Friday. By definition, that requires us to move the unwalled cities to Thursday the 13th. For Rebbe, my time, what's Rebbe's logic? He says like this, Bechoshana he does the same thing each and every year. Just like in a regular year, we allow unwalled cities to what? Read on the 14th. So to unwalled cities, read on the 14th, leave them alone. Just because you have to move the walled cities. Why do you have to tinker? Why do you have to tamper with the unwalled cities? Why don't you make a different drasha? Just like on a regular year, walled cities come before wall. I'm sorry. Just like in a regular year, unwalled cities read before walled cities. Afkan nami ayoros mukafin. So too, why don't we say that we should move all unwalled cities to Thursday the thirteenth in order that they could precede walled cities? Shani It's different over here. It's different over here because there's no other options. So I will say what you see over here is as follows. Interestingly enough, they're making the same drasha, the Khoshana Vashana, which tells us Purim follows a pattern. The machlokis is which is the primary part of the pattern. See, according to the Tanakhama, the primary part of the pattern is what? Unwalled cities always read before walled cities. That's the primary part of the pattern. And therefore, once you have to move walled cities to the 14th, because the 15th is Shabbos, by definition, you have to move unwalled cities to the 13th to Thursday. Rebbe will say, no, the primary part of the pattern is what? Is what? That unwalled cities read on the 14th, right? Because we'll say the majority of cities are unwalled cities. So therefore, again, the primary part of the Purim pattern is unwalled cities read on the 14th. Leave it alone. 
Leave it alone. So just because you have to move, just because you have to move walled cities now to Friday the 14th, don't tamper with the unwalled cities. Incredible. My Rabbi Yossi, what's the position of Rabbi Yossi? This Sanya, Chalios, Erev Shabbos, Rabbi Yossi tells like this. That when Purim falls out, when the 14th falls out, and Erev Shabbos, Mukafin Ukfarim Makdimlio Maknisa. So I'll say, watch this. Listen to this opinion. In this case, where, the four, four, where, where Purim, the 14th of Adar, falls out on Friday, Mukafin, walled cities and villages are moved to Thursday. Right? Isn't this wild? So we'll say, according to this opinion, well, anyway, once you have to move walled cities because they can't read on Shabbos anyway, you might as well move them to another pre-established date. Move them to Thursday. And ultimately, again, large unwalled cities will ultimately read on Friday the 14th. Rabbi Yossi, um, Rabbi Yossi says, no, Ein mukafen kolmin la'ayaros ela elu vi elu korim bobe. Ariosi will say no. We don't move walled cities before unwalled cities. Rather, again, halacha lamaisa. Everyone will read on Friday, with the exception of the villages who will read on who will read on Thursday. We'll say we'll stop over here for today. We'll pick up with the position of Rabbiosi in Mirat session tomorrow. Shkarech avosay. Just, uh, let's just make a time. All right? I'll text you today. You're in school, so make it. Fine. Today's not good for me anyway, but uh, maybe Sunday. Perfect. Pleasure. Have a great day.